so dude what'd you end up getting for christmas uh i got a lot of uh clothing and some funko pops and one of the things that i thought would be fun was i had you know on ebay you could go get like lots of comics and you can have them you don't know what you're gonna get so i had my parents buy two separate lots and it was fun like i didn't get anything super crazy awesome but it's just cool seeing you know what comics came through my the two funko pops that i got is the carnage the absolute carnage one where he's sitting on the, the headstones and i believe i have it right here so let me grab it so i um it the the headstones are rogers logan brock and parker and it looks really cool he's like standing on this gravesite. Oh, that's that's so dope. And then the other one I got is this glow in the dark. Like if you've been following along the Venom series by Donny Cates is the like the symbol, like the when he's infected by Noel. So that that's Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two. That was those are probably my highlight. I got a really cool Venom sweatshirt and uh also uh Thrawn books and the Witcher books. So the first two. So I'm gonna be doing a lot of reading. So those are the those are my highlights. Okay, those are those are solid. I got um a, on the Funko Pop front. I got a Ray Funko Pop from my sister-in-law, and I got that, and I'm like, she tried. Like, is it what I want? No, but she tried, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I thought she was your favorite character, so like that's I told her sister-in-law that's what you get. I mean, you'd know damn well Kylo Ren is Bay. Kylo Ren for life. <laughs> There are no Funko Pops with... Maybe there is. I just haven't looked into it. Like, the high pants. I have to get that one for you. If I got the high pants Funko Pop, I would absolutely lose my shit. But instead, I got also... And this was an incredible gift. My father-in-law made this gigantic uh, painting of Mando and Groku, both in um, the Razor Crest. And it is huge. I have it posted on our Twitter, guys. Check it out. And... It's just sitting there in my dining room now as like our main art centerpiece, and I absolutely adore it. Yeah, when you, poor poor Hannah, when you posted it, I was like, "This is awesome!" Like, holy crap! Like, uh, you're he, like he went above and beyond. Uh, yeah, it, it looks it looks phenomenal. But phenomenal paintings aside, guys, we're Podwars, and what's what's your name, fellow over there? I'm Sutsuj Namua. <laughs> and I am Gary. I don't know how to say that name backwards. And we are Pod Wars. On Pod Wars, we like to talk about stuff, but today we are especially going to talk about the last three chapters of Mandalorian Season 2. Really quickly, I feel like my name said backwards is a really good Star Wars name. Sutsuj? I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a grimy, like, weird, you know, uh, like, underbelly. It has either, like... It has either like a pissed off Gamorrean guard or just like, like no offense, but just like a big old Jabba the Hutt like looking dude who's just sitting there. That's fine. I'm overweight. So I fit right into that family. (laughs) I mean, I have respect for Jabba. I just recently saw the Clone Wars episode where there's a little hut and it's like a little baby turd. And I'm like, oh, look, it's so cute and disgusting at the same time. But Sutsuj fits perfectly for it. You know, I have never actually seen the Clone Wars movie. I know that it's like kicks off the TV show, but I've always just been told, yeah, it's skippable. I'm, I know as a Star Wars fan, there's people out there that probably think you need to watch it and whatnot. And it introduces Ahsoka. But yeah, I've never actually sat down and watched it. Like, it might sound weird, but same. I've sat through the entire Star Wars holiday special, but I have not actually watched the whole Clone Wars movie. I feel like I'm coming out like saying that on the podcast right now. Yeah, we're we're showing our true colors as uh, what kind of Star Wars fans we are. But before we dive into you know Mando and whatnot, we're gonna cover a lot, and there's gonna be a lot of spoilers. So obviously, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it because there's some really awesome stuff that happens. So I just wanted to throw that out there before we jump on in. But before we start, Gary, uh, I'm going to start us at the end and then we're going to like go back into chapter 15 or 14. Is it 14 or 15? It's 14. Anyway, if you had to compare season one to season two, which one do you like more? Oh, honestly, that's a little tough, but I kind of like, you see, I think season two had a better ending. But I think season one is overall better. Um, Mainly because, like, 
you get more of the gunslinger Mando, I feel like in season one, you get more of the development. Season two, you have a lot of like really cool things established. You know, like it's still running off of that. Um, plus the the cameos, I, I don't know, because all the cameos too in season two, it's it's a tough call. I, I'm torn, man. Where, where do you feel on the two seasons? I like that I asked you this question and haven't even really thought about it. Um, <laughs> I I think that I like season one more as a cohesive story. I like season two more for some of the episodes. Like the Asuka's mm. episode is awesome. The last you know three episodes were really great for season two. I I think that the some of the the cameos might have overshadowed the relationship between Grogu and Mando. And that's what that was really, really, you know, one of the prominent things in season one that I really liked. But it's I don't know, I, I go back and forth because season two had some really awesome moments and some really great character development and some really, you know, cool like we talked about cameo. So uh I think it comes down it'll probably come down to me having to watch it a second time and then really deciding. Honestly, same here. But, I mean, off the top of my head right now, season two, purely because it has far more frog eggs. I mean, that story arc, impeccable story writing right there. So, I'm looking at Gary's notes, and you messed up, my man. We're on chapter chapter 14. Are we? Yes. Well, I, I mean, my notes are also mostly a jumble of random thoughts and swear words. And it's not very cohesive or helpful in any way whatsoever. That's fine. But that's how we roll here in Pod Wars. I just like giving I mean, you. We don't really. I just like giving you a hard time because you give me a hard time. So whenever I can seize the <laughs> seize the moment, I do. I mean, Man of Steel is a wonderful movie, and you can just burn in hell. Ah, uh, guys, listen to the droids episodes with conversations, and y- you'll understand where that's coming from. And we're not even ten minutes in, and we already plugged another piece of our own work. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love it. All right, so let's let's jump into some Mando talk. You know, chapter fourteen, the tragedy. What what were your uh, what were your thoughts, Gary? So immediately when I saw it saying the tragedy, I um, I was like losing my mind. I figured, oh no, like this is going to be one of those episodes where it ends and you just feel like crap. Like you just know seeing the tragedy that something bad's going to happen to Groku. You know, did you get that kind of first impression? I was kind of thrown off because I believe if this timeline works out the way that season two went, it was main story, side mission, main story, side mission. And I thought that this was going to be a side mission episode. And so the tragedy was going to be over something, you know, you know, it wasn't wasn't going to be that a bad of a thing. And I was completely wrong, like absolutely wrong. (laughs) And my heart like they didn't. My heart hurt, and they didn't waste time. Like you mentioned, yeah, like they do a lot of side stories in between the main plot points, and they're just like, nah, screw that. We're going to rip their heart to shreds, and then have them lose their minds over Boba Fett, and then rip up their heart a little bit more. One of the things that I liked in the beginning of the episode is that you're seeing more of Mando recognizing him in more of like a fatherly role, and playing with you know Grogu, calling him by his name, and is... You know, they have that little, I don't know, handle ball thing. Then they're playing force catch or whatnot. Like, it was cute. It's good. That's good, you know, father-son character development from Mando. You know, the I think uh, I was, like, watching or reading something and that they were going on about how that whole scene is him trying to determine, like, is it more of a mission or is this my son and I just want, like, the best for him. That's a good point. I like the idea of, like... It's going beyond just the creed. It's doing the best for the child. And you're totally right. It has really great interactions in the beginning of just a cute little thing of him like saying, hey, Grogu, and then watching his little ears perk up. It just, I don't know, reminds me of like your dog whenever you're like, want to go for a walk? And he just freaks out a little bit. <laughs> but it was it was so cute. And then I, I got an impression too, and I don't know if you, if you felt the same way, that uh, Mando was, seemed a little bit kind of like frustrated that Grogu could clearly use a force, but he wasn't good enough, quote unquote, for Ahsoka. Like when he yelled out like Dank Farrick over him being able to move the ball with the force and you could see him being like, no, 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 I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. I'm just kind of frustrated. 
yeah, I, I think that he, I don't know, like the, there's, I personally think that the reason that Baby Yoda didn't, Makarobu didn't use the force and isn't as well trained is because he had to, you know, protect himself. And so uh, maybe Mando out of frustration is just, I don't know, maybe there is the, like once he met Ahsoka, he thought that his mission was going to be complete and now he's got to keep on going, you know, above and beyond and he doesn't like the, the there's more of the unknown so he's he's frustrated with all that so he kind of takes it out and when grogu doesn't you know do the force stuff i don't know you know it's one of those things where like you're frustrated and then you you kind of yell and you like have to realize that there's a kid there and you're like i'm i'm not actually frustrated with you i'm sorry like i get it your kid like it's fine i'm just kind of in a bad mood but you, you can definitely see that, and that changes, especially as we get into the final chapter when he finally does meet up with the Jedi. You see a completely different reaction from the Mandalorian. It's not one of relief at all. But, okay, so they're going to the planet a Typhon, which is a classic one from Legends in the Dark Horse comic days. And I, I looked up the planet in like the those old comics, and it's nothing like they did in Mando, which is probably for the best. Like, the planet there had like these weird like floating cube type things, and it was super funky. So I'm I'm kind of happy they just stuck with something simple. Maybe I was looking at the wrong thing, but wasn't it also almost like a snow snowy planet, or more like rocks and cliffs and that kind of thing? I don't recall that off the top of my head i i they lost me mentally at floating cubes i'm just like this is getting a little bit weird and like here it was just more of like a ruins kind of feel yeah i i liked what the planet looked like um i thought it was cool i know that tython and that the jedi temple it's got a lot of significance and so it was it was nice seeing it and it was cool that you know kind of like you know ray with luke with the you know the rock and the force that grogu was able to connect with a Jedi, we're not going to say who. I mean, even everyone knows who it is, but still, because Twitter ruined it. I mean, they, wait, how the hell does Twitter ruin it for you? No, they get up at like no, they were just ruined it for my friends. Five a.m. I, I know I watched it at five a.m., but I just know a couple of friends who Twitter ruined it for them, so I'm mad for them. Well, okay, Loki, Mark Hamill kind of ruined it for me. I went on Instagram for one second and just saw him on there posting a shush face of him, and I'm like. No, no. They they didn't freaking do it. They didn't bring Luke on. No, he's just full of crap right now. He's just screwing with me. I'm not going on social media, and I literally turned my phone off the rest of the day. Anyway, I loved that, you know, scene and seeing Yoda, or sorry, um, Grogu, you know, activate the Force, trying to connect with the Jedi, and then you have the holy shit moment when Slave One arrives, and, you know, yeah, Mando, who's like, do I need to protect him? You know, I need to protect, you know, baby Yoda, and I can't get to him. And then you have Fennec and, you know, Boba Fett come out, and you're like, holy crap, and that's awesome. There was just, a, like, there it felt like that episode. Uh, and, you know, epi- the final chapter was just, like, moment after moment where it's like, this is something cool, this is something cool, this is something cool, and I have no time to process it, but I'm loving every second of it. It, it like, alternates between completely wildly different ends of the emotional spectrum. Like, you have one moment where you're like, oh my gosh, it's Boba Fett, it's Slave One, this is amazing, he's kicking ass, and then the next moment you're like, Baby Yoda's vulnerable, I'm scared, I don't know how to feel, and then the moment after you're like, holy <laughs> shit, epicness again, this is awesome, and the moment after, you're terrified for the poor little child, it just highs and lows and highs and lows, and it's an emotional roller coaster. I was in a glass case of emotion the whole time. And one of the things that I really liked about the episode is that they gave Boba Fett they they kind of silenced the Boba Fett haters, is what I'm going to say. The, AKA us. Right, yes, exactly. I was very impressed with his skills without the armor when he's, you know, smashing dudes' heads and just ganking them. And then I thought it was really awesome when he had, you know, the armor on and it looks all nasty and the colors are all distorted and, and he, he just, like, again, starts kicking more ass. So, yeah, I, I thought they did a really, really good job of... That and Fennec is awesome. Uh, Ming, the actress, is been in you know Agents of Shield, and she was the voice actress for Mulan, so she knows how to kick butt. Uh, but I I I liked the episode. I liked how you know the stormtroopers, you know the that whole battle scene, the the terror or the um 
I'm what I'm trying to say, like the ground and like the the terrain made it a fun little, you know, battle going on. And then one thing mm-hmm. that I cannot get, you know, out of my head, and even when I was watching the last uh episode right before recording this, is that the dark troopers look like bionicles and I love it. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. Now I'm never going to be able to unsee that. They totally look like Bionicles. Oh my gosh. And there's no criticism there. Um, I love Bionicles. No, no, I love Bionicles. But Those were like the bomb. When I first saw it, I was like, it's a Bionicle. <laughs> okay, but back to the other episode. So when Boba Fett came on, I saw a clip recently of the director for that episode. And he essentially made like a pseudo home video previs of what he wanted the Boba Fett return to look like, where he took a uh, stormtrooper costume, put it on his one son, put a Boba Fett costume on his other son, and had them like play fight while they also use like little stormtrooper figurines to like act out what's going on in the background. And he showed this to Dave Filoni and John Favreau, and Dave was like, are those figurines that you're using? He's like, yeah, like I, d- I just did this at home. And Dave's like, no, 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 no. That makes it 10 times cooler. <laughs> I just loved that clip. I have to go look that up. That's awesome. It, it, it was so funny. Like, check it out, guys. I believe it's from the gallery. I saw it on TikTok, uh, but it, it looks so funny. And he's totally right. Like, Boba Fett in this scene is like a complete savage. Like, he's not like... Uh, like, Mando's definitely the gunslinger. Boba Fett is just a savage, wrecking stormtroopers with a club. Like, you see him beat through the armor with his weird metal prong thing, and it's just, it's brutal. One of the things that I keep on recognizing throughout watching this is, why are the stormtroopers there? What is their purpose? Because their armor seems to be made out of plastic. Yeah, it seems like the armor doesn't do much. I just I just chalk it up to, you know, like, ineffective government and just be like, they just did budget cuts, and, you know, they decided, let's just do, like, five or ten plies less for our armor, and, you know, have them do, like, single-ply toilet paper and call it good enough. Oh, yeah. And, and another really awesome, shocking, not even, not awesome, awesome's the wrong word. Another really shocking moment that really made me sad was when Slave 1 blew up, and I was... Like, my mouth dropped. You mean uh, Razor Sorry, Crest, Crest yes. blew up. When Razor Crest blew up. Dude, I... I was so, like, I was surprised at how much that, like, killed me. Because I was already emotionally compromised with Grogu being taken. And then it's like, they took the last little bit away from him. But, speaking of Slave 1, don't we get a lot of fan service from that? Is that the is that the episode where um, we hear the seismic charge? Oh, my word. The seismic charge. And if you... If, the most satisfying thing on Earth. For sure. And if you you haven't, like... You, I mean, everyone who's seen Star Wars knows what we're talking about. But for those to reminder, in Episode Two, when they're like Obi Wan and you know Jango are going at it, it's the bomb that goes off, and it goes off again. And I remember just like seeing the, you know, the back opening, and when like I watched it earlier in the morning, and I like heard the noise, and I made it myself like as it was going off, and I was like, I am a child, and I am okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a similar moment. I was watching this alone on in the morning because my wife had already seen it. And I was just sitting there on the couch early. It was like, and I just was watching silently, then saw the seismic charge, jumped up from my chair and yelled out, hell yeah. And I'm like, I'm probably just annoying the hell out of my neighbors. And I also feel like a child. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, though, is that when Razor Crest blows up, do you feel like it? Mando's motivations switch from I'm trying to complete this quest because this is my code to you just messed with my family and my like now it's it's no longer about the code it's about you know I'm I'm out for blood because like you took my son yeah I I think the combination of the two um like when Grogu was taken the just basic fear you could tell with the Mandalorian and sense of loss. It definitely shifted from a creed to an actual mission for someone he cared about. And with the Razor Crest destroyed, to me, that signified that he can't just jump back into that bounty hunter life. Like, that time for him has kind of passed. 
Um, whether it means, and we can talk more maybe on what that means for the series in general, but it's like he can't just go back to just gunslinging around in the Razor Crest anymore. It was very much a death to himself and a death to his family. Yeah, and because you can even tell he finds one the best car spear, which is awesome because, you know, I've been hoping for the whole season that he was going to use it against Gideon and we, we get that, you know, awesome moment. And then he finds the little ball and it's just, again, another significant moment of like this this one little tiny thing. You know, hold on. This this I was thinking about this. That ball does more than those stupid little like necklace chain thing that is in solo. Oh, the dice in solo? Yes. <laughs> that ball is That more, ball has yeah. so much more emotional impact. <laughs> exactly. And especially when he picks it up, you're like, "Oh no, like like it, it's just like there's so much depth there." Uh, but one of the things that I also wanted to talk about before we move on to chapter 15 is I was slightly shocked that we got a Boba Fett, Fennec, and Mando team up. I I had kind of thought that once, you know, Boba Fett got his armor, they would go off and do their thing and kind of took me by surprise because we've always seen, you know, Boba Fett being this bounty hunter that's ruthless and now he's bound by a code to help mando doesn't does what did you think of that honestly that kind of like i i didn't think of it while watching the episode because i was like too overwhelmed by the experience of it all but then afterwards it just didn't sit right with me like i don't think it's necessarily a huge plot hole i just think that that's a little underdeveloped like it him just holding on to the armor for safekeeping doesn't seem like enough of a motivation for Boba Fett to suddenly be willing to do a risky, like, life-threatening thing to save this child he also doesn't know. And and maybe because I, I do like that they are still debating whether or not is Boba, you know, a Mandalorian or is he just a foundling and all this different stuff. And they go through his, you know, lineage that was really cool and having that moment with Mando and may- and maybe because Boba understands what it means to be a youngling or a-, a foundling, sorry, that that's why he's bound to help, you know, Mando, who knows, uh, or Din. It-, it-, it was just, it took me by surprise. It definitely did. And maybe we'll find out more in the book of Boba for the motivations behind this. But like, it definitely, it definitely like, didn't make sense to me offhand. Like, I was fine with it, but I just left there wondering why. Right. You got anything else that you want to say on Chapter 14 before we move on? Well, I want to move on as quickly as we can from this just absolutely heart-wrenching episode and go on to the dopeness that is Chapter 15. Uh, I just have to say that Bill Burr stole that episode, and I'm totally okay with it. Like, he went all out with that character development. Like, I see so many of the toxic fans on Facebook being like, Bill Burr does more character development in one episode than Ray, Finn, and Poe did the entire sequels. And I'm like, that's mean and probably too much, but also kind of has a decent point. Like, (laughs) Bill Burr is really good in this episode. He is really good. And his whole Boston accent does not take me out of it. I, I really, really liked it. I was surprised, again, that... You know, it wasn't. It, it, it's kind of a side question or side quest, you know, mission episode, but it's also advances the whole story. And the reason that Bill Burr's character is reintroduced is because they need him to get information to find Moth Gideon, and so they break him, Caradoon, or sorry, Din Caradoon. You know, go and break out Bill Burr's character, uh, Mayfeld. Yeah, Mayfeld. Yeah, they bring him out of out of prison because Caradoon has more pull within the Republic. And it's again, kind of an odd team up that works. Like it's uh Fennec, Boba, Mayfeld, Caradoon and Mando uh, all going on this mission. And one thing that kind of, I was wondering during the episode, and I want to hear your thoughts on this too, justice is this is the first episode where we correct me if I'm wrong. Don't have any Grogu at all. And I think it still worked, even though they didn't have the classic little baby moments. I would have to double check on that, but I do agree with you. Um, or no, isn't isn't he? 
No, no, no. We we get him because there's there's scenes where it's Moth Gideon and Grogu is force choking stormtroopers, which I want to talk about in a little bit. And it's, isn't that in uh, chapter fourteen? Either way, we still need to talk about that. So sorry for our. We do need to talk about that. Sorry, sorry to our <laughs> listeners for being a little off on uh, some timeline here, but the the one uh, the, you're right. The, there's not a lot of Baby Yoda, but I think the reason that it makes up for that is because it's a lot of character development for Mayfield and for Mando. It's you know it's questioning Mando's you know moral code again. This one is all about you know the lengths that he'll go to save. Grogu, the lengths that he'll go to break his own, you know, how much does wearing this helmet mean to me and showing my face? And that was, you know, basically one of the center topics of this whole episode. That and uh, to actually, before we add on to that, we, we got to talk about the Grogu force, force choking people because we totally slid by that. And that deserves a moment of Moff Gideon going into Grogu with his little like baby handcuffs and Grogu just going ham in the force and then taking a little nap. Like I love, love that part. I thought it was interesting that Moth Gideon also has a, like he's giddy around, you know, baby Yoda. It's for the wrong reasons, but every single character seems to get a little enjoyment around being baby Yoda. Either if it's a good thing or a bad thing, it just really, I thought it was quite cute and interesting, but it's also, you know, something that Ahsoka had talked about how there's a lot of dark side in him and the what what Baby Yoda was doing is complete dark side. There's no doubt about it. Force choking some stormtroopers and then knocking them together. It's it's a side of Baby Yoda Grogu that I, I, I honestly don't want to see. I don't know if I don't want to see it because I kind of love it. But like it's a side that's not good for him. You know, like it's definitely dark side. You definitely see him using that fear to feed into the force so that he's like far more powerful than he arguably is throughout most of the show and just really wrecking those stormtroopers. But then you still get that baby vulnerability of he just doesn't have the energy to do it as long as like a normal Jedi master would and he just falls asleep. So he still has this immense power and vulnerability at the same time, which is a really hard line to balance with that character. I'm also wondering too, though, if at that point when we see him, if he's already had tests done on him. And if that's the case, I can see why he's even more tired because he's probably lost a lot of blood, has no energy, so he's only able to do so much. True, that definitely would factor in. But now let's let's take a complete left turn here and go back to our boy Bill Burr because he... He drives, like he mentioned in the episode, and I want to expand on this, the idea of putting Mando's creed into question. But to add on to that, I think he brings into question kind of the overall philosophy of Star Wars in a way. Like, he he basically argues that if you're from Alderaan, you think that Alderaan was a victim. If you're an, a former Imperial, you feel like the workers in the Death Star are the victims. We're all just a product of our surroundings and just try to live through another day. And like they go through that village, you see him definitely emotionally struck by the children there. And he's like, these guys don't care. Empire rebellion. You're just people trying to take over their land. And I thought that was a very interesting point that is explored a lot in like novels and comics, but not as much within the films or mainline productions. Uh, It's, it's definitely in the last Jedi. Like it's it's uh that true true Delmatoro's you know main character the whole thing like whatever keeps you asleep at night you know that's what people are gonna do, and so, uh, I think you know Mayfield may have gotten it across a little bit better, and because you know he at the end of the ep- so at the end of the episode because they had gotten the the transport in and he was not gonna let you know the the empire use what he brought in. So he decides to blow it up because at at the end of the day, him knowing that he blew it up means that he can sleep at night because he didn't aid the empire. Which is why I think it worked here versus you mentioning, I totally forgot. It's totally the same theme, TLJ. I think it works here better than TLJ um, because at the end he realized that even though I'm acting like there isn't an inherent good or evil, deep down I know there is. Like, even though I'm acting like the Rebellion and the Empire are the same, 
deep down I know the Empire is evil. What they're doing in this space is wrong, and I had to destroy it, which is why I think it works better overall. Right, so let's kind of talk about a few things. One, I'm... I was I don't know what I was watching or listening, but the I think it was uh, Star Wars explains Star Wars explains video, but they were talking about uh, how those pirates they were attacking like those are maybe innocent people, and it was like you know Mando didn't have enough time to explain to them that they're good, and so he just ended up killing them anyway, uh, which you know kind of is another you know a little hip, hypocritical hypocritical as well. Definitely, too. But then you also look at his motivations. He had to defeat them, not for the sake of the Empire, but for the sake of saving the child. And it's like you, even his thing, like you, you don't know how important he is to me kind of feeling is that he's doing anything that he needs to to save his kid. Um, yeah, we got a Liam Neeson taken moment at the end of that episode. Basically, yeah, he has a unique set of skills. But let's talk about his skills here, okay? Because I feel like this episode makes Mando look incredibly vulnerable because he doesn't have his best car. So like you mentioned with Boba, we get to see how he is fighting without his armor. This is our first real time, I think, seeing Mando fighting without the uh, aid of the best car. And he's still the epic fighter. Like, he's not just his armor, and I loved that part. Like, when he's fighting on top of the uh, carrier vehicle... Yeah, that that was cool. That that whole scene was awesome. The, you know, the fighting, the action. I loved it. I I do have to say though, why is it that when he takes off his helmet, the screen just need to see his face, and then that like gave him the information. That didn't. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Wh- like, I don't. I don't understand that whole. Uh, so, okay, for you guys who don't know this supposed plot hole um i didn't really think about it when watching it i was just most mostly like emotionally moved he took off his helmet like i think that part is still very good but a lot of people are bringing to light hey why the heck did they have why the heck did he have to scan his face like what did they gain from scanning his face like it's all it's doing is just proving hey you have a face therefore you can get all this technical data they just don't want L3s walking around with uh, the information. I don't think anyone wants L3 walking around except for Lando, and he wants it way too much. But that's beside the point. Okay, the way I'm rationalizing it in my head canon is that they scanned his face as a way to record who has access to the information, not a way of gaining access to the information. That's fine. So, like, it didn't... They, they scanned the face to, like, record who's seen it, you know, as a tracker. Yeah, it, it it isn't. It's not taking me out of the episode. I just was sitting there thinking, wait, 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 what what's going on? And then I just blew by because you have the epic, you know, moment where Mayfield is sitting down with his old superior officer, and you have like them, you know, you have Din Mayfield and this the officer kind of looking at each other, and they're having like this fake conversation, and they're trying to get out of this situation, and Mayfield just like loses his temper because the imperial officer just goes off and is talking about how the lives you know sacrificed at planet or at project cinder you know those guys don't matter they're just like the civilians and mayfield's like i lost a lot of friends you know screw you and ends up just shooting the officer point blank and that whole scene i i was like this is this is so good this is like great great star wars this is great anything this is awesome we're gonna definitely gush on that moment but dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you before Twitter does. You're confusing Mayfeld with Baker Mayfield, the uh, crappy player for the Browns. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. Okay, guys, I'm trying. I'm really, really trying here. You're really trying. Everyone, give a prayer for justice. He needs it, and so does Baker Mayfield. But yeah, lost, anyways, they lose that Jets? moment though. Uh. Is he the Jets, the Browns? Shoot, now I'm the idiot. No, 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 no. Um, no I, I think they lost to the Jets is what I'm saying. Anyway, that's sports. We don't have to talk about sports. <laughs> what is sports? But, okay, that part, you're right. Like, that is, for one, it was just, like, a really intense kind of moment. It gave me kind of Quentin Tarantino and Glorious Bastards, like, that movie kind of vibes where 
It's a long, drawn-out exposure to this terrifying character culminating in one epic just clash. And you see Bill Burr doing, like, legitimately great acting. Like, you see his face just morph into anger and loss over basically that project, the Operation Cinder, which... Okay, so to give you guys a background on Operation Cinder, it was from... You can see it in the Battlefront 2 video game, and it was basically a bombardment of a multitude of planets as a contingency after the Emperor died for kind of a... to kind of uh, oddly, like, punish them for allowing his death to happen. And what was it? Burnin' Khan is where Mayfeld was. And it was just this gigantic orbital bombardment on multiple planets where a ton of people, both Imperial and non-Imperial, ended up dying. It was a sad, sad, sad sacrifice and is one of the reasons that Mayfeld left the whole, you know, Empire. And I I just think that that scene, like we've been talking about, has a lot of emotion, has a lot of, you know, character development for him. And after, you know, he shoots the officer they're kind of in a bind because they're in the middle of a camp full of, you know, the Imperials. And so you're just kind of like, how are they going to get out of this? Luckily, Cara Dune, Fennec, and Boba Fett are all there with their awesome sniper rifles, helping them as they escape. Yeah, and it was a fun escape. It was a gratifying ending to the episode two of having Mayfeld basically being let free. And that, I think, brings us to the final chapter the rescue and just uh, just start this out for me dude because i don't even know where to go for this episode it is just insane so it, it starts off with them finding the doctor that was doing the tests in the beginning of season one on yoda and you know mando spared him but killed the surgical droid and one of the things that starts off right away is you get a really cool banter between the two Imperials and then the banter between the Imperial and Cara Dune's character. And it brings up the whole debate of, you know, were a lot of civilians, you know, killed on the Death Star or were they evil and the whole Alderaan thing. And it's, it's nice to know that there are maybe some Imperials or Empire people that are, are, you know, not as supportive. And then there's the other guy who's just like super uber supportive and ends up killing the other one. Yeah, it it gave me like the one impression I'm getting from this whole kind of Mandalorian sequel is the Empire is turned into kind of like a cult where you have these insane followers who will gladly kill and and die and commit suicide for the sake of the Empire, which is what that guy gave me vibes of. And I, the whole time when he was holding up that dock, I'm like, Cara Dune's just going to shoot him. Like, she's just going to shoot him in the face and not really care about the doctor. And then she did. And it was so good. Yeah, it, it, it was, it's interesting because he brings up how he was there when Alderaan, you know, blew up. He was on the Death Star. And she responds with, which one? He's like, oh, you're really funny. And, and that was, that was good banter. Like, that was awesome. And then, yeah, her hitting him right in the face with a bullet and the doctor like freaking out about his ear. I'm like, yes, please shoot that guy in the face. He deserves it. From there, they get the doc and the doc is kind of on their side, I guess, because he felt bad about basically experimenting on an infant. Well, they before they, they go to confront Moff Gideon with the doc using the uh, Imperial shuttle, they go and recruit Bo-Katan and her friend, I, I one of the things that I was wondering is why wasn't the guy there? Did he go off and do his own mission? Yeah, I have no idea where he is. Um, it's just he was gone. Fun fact though, the menu in that bar, um, you can actually uh, you can actually figure out what the menu says. It's in some weird Star Wars language Sanskrit type thing, and each one of the foods on there are actual foods and beings from legends and the films. And one of them is space waffles. 
Because there was waffles in one episode of Clone Wars, and the guys thought it was funny that they had waffles in space, so they made it space waffles as one of the menu items. Why are you so nerdy? Okay, you're really judging, bro. You're really <laughs> judging. <laughs> no, I'm just messing around. No, but it, that scene's... I, I enjoyed that scene. I know there are it, there are fans out there who don't like it because of what happens to Boba, but they can get over themselves. Boba's super old. I like that he fights a younger Mandalorian, and I don't think either of them won or lost because somehow their flames canceled each other out, which doesn't make any sense. But it's still a cool scene. And the the thing that I thought was interesting is Bo-Katan the whole time is you know talking to Mando earlier in the season about what's a true Mandalorian, and then she comes at freaking Boba and is like, "You're not a true Mandalorian," and and it's just like, "Yo, like love and peace." You know, let's let's all get along so that you can get like the goal that you want. We all put our armor on one leg at a time. Like, let's just all be friends. But I love that she's like recognizing Boba's voice right away as a clone. Like the fact that they're acknowledging Boba is basically a clone. Well, not basically is a clone is awesome. Like even saying like my father. Oh, your organ donor. Like, ooh, that was salty. Oh, yeah, and and the one thing, I don't even know where I saw this. I'm pretty sure it was online, but Boba's the only guy that's not questioning, you know, what's a, what's a Mandalorian. He's just he's just trying to vibe, live life, you know? He, he's just trying to, you know, do his duty and help Mando, and Fennec's just there, too, with her droid belly. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even talk about the droid belly. It's, like... a, it's a Star Wars thing, and... We just gotta accept it for what it is, and I'm I'm fine with her back. I don't care. She's cool. I don't care. She's great. Um, but yeah, they get they get Bo-Katan and they go over the plan. And one thing I appreciated was that this plan is basically Mando on his own, and his main backup is all female characters. And you might disagree with me on this justice, but I especially appreciate appreciated it because like you didn't watch it and think, oh, this is going to be like the girl power moment. Like, no, you're, it's just good characters doing badass things. And then afterwards you realize, oh, that was an all female group versus like the Marvel women in Avengers where they're like, here's our girl power shot. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't thrown off by it at all. It didn't take me out like it did in some Avengers Endgame. But I I don't know why people are upset about it because it was a super awesome scene with them, you know, taking or kicking dudes, you know, stormtroopers. And, you know, even with Cara Dune's gun, you know, getting all busted up and, you know, seeing the teamwork. And I loved when they're going across the bridge and the two Mandalorian females go underneath and then they come back up and kill stormtroopers. Like it, it was just, oh, it yeah. was great. It was great how it was done. I loved it. I didn't have any issue with it. And even before they get inside, I just love that there's still banter going on between, you know, Bo-Katan and Boba as they're coming in and he's like, put your shields up because she, you know, she's like, put on a good show. And that, that like I was getting when I first saw it, you know really nervous like are they gonna make it inside like of course they're gonna make it inside but i was still getting nervous like are they gonna do it oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's the whole thing with this show is like it gets you nervous even though you know everyone's gonna be okay because you're like but what if they're not like i can't handle that yeah and and i i really really thought that the whole action was done very well I love Fennec. I like when she domes the stormtrooper in the head and, you know, he falls back. She's a great shot. I I also liked how they took the bridge. And then you get the really great moment of Moth Gideon facing off against Mando, Din, and, and, and that's just, you know, something that I wanted to see the whole season. And, well, even before that, you got, like, the intro of the dark troopers. The Bionicles, as Justice mentioned, which is now going to be stuck in my brain forever. But like, you are welcome. Y- <laughs> you see Mando fighting the Dark Trooper, and you're like, "Damn!" It's just caving his head into the wall. Like I thought for sure, I'm like, his helmet's going to break. His helmet is going to break right now. It showed one the integrity of Beskar 
but it also showed too how strong these troopers were and how you know difficult it was going to be if they had to take out this whole you know group of them and why the very end was so impactful because that that one scene of his face is getting beaten over and over and over and it's you know for the faint of heart you know it's kind of hard to watch but that just like adds more to the awesomeness at the end of the episode and yeah he opens the airlock and he only has to fight you know one of the dark troopers and one of the things that i didn't notice is get it moff gideon when they do confront each other he's like i know everything and i know that you already shot off like your little bullets on the one dark trooper and i was like how do you how do you know that how are you that like he is so resourceful and so smart oh yeah and i thought even too like when they're trying to hide the fact that they're imperials i'm like moff gideon knows that's bo the whole time like he's not an idiot and he's like let him come in like, or let's just get the TIE fighters out to make, to make it annoying for him. That, and then he automatically gets the, the dark troopers going. He doesn't even, you know, order stormtroopers to go down there and fight them. Yeah, like, Moff Gaming shows how he's a great villain. And, like, I I loved that they finally had the duel with him and Manto. And the one thing I kind of appreciated and I thought was really interesting was, so you have Ahsoka versus that one magistrate in the previous episodes and she's fighting with lightsaber against beskar and the beskar doesn't necessarily take any major hits it does it totally fine but beskar against the dark saber it starts to like melt a little bit so it shows how the dark saber is a little bit more intense than a normal lightsaber with that bladed feel i thought it still got orange maybe not as orange but i think it it didn't not get orange at all in the um ahsoka episode no, I, uh, I, cause I was curious about that. And I was looking back at the Ahsoka episode to see if there was any change and it just like bounced off fine. But then you saw it with Gideon and you had like a second thought of, oh crap, like, is this going to hold? Which was perfect. Of course it did showing again how Beskar is dope. But then also like the fact that you doubted it for a moment for the first time in the series was really taking the Darksaber to a different edge. Yeah. And and it was cool that he was able to use the Beskar spear to take out that one dark trooper as well. But then the fight between them, I thought it was you know really like well choreographed. And then I like two thoughts that came into my head. One, I wonder if how hard Moth Gideon was trying. Like I wonder if he wanted to get captured because he knew the you know the whole history behind the dark saber. And two, the second thought that I had was. He's extremely talented for a non-force user, supposedly, using a lightsaber. Like his, like the way, because they always talk about how it's you know challenging, and and I know people will say like, oh, look at the sequels and whatnot. But that being said, he's either trained a lot with it, or he's just an extremely well awesome fighter. Yeah, he definitely has enough. Like, think about it. He's fighting against a Mandalorian. One of the best fighters in the galaxy, a group known for their warrior abilities, and he's a higher up in the army. So, like, the fact that he's able to hold his own shows that he really values being a warrior himself, and it's kind of impressive. And I felt like going into that fight, Mando sort of lost in a way when he mentioned how he's like, I don't care about the Darksaber, I'm just here for the kid. Like, at that moment, Moff Gideon knew, okay... At the best, I fight him and defeat him, and everything's great. At the worst, I fight him and lose, and screw over Bo-Katan and him, because now they're stuck fighting over the Darksaber. You know, like, it was a it was a win-win situation, in a way, for Moff Gideon. Right, and I just also love that his suit kind of looks like Darth Vader, too. He's Moff Gideon's a, a great villain. But, that being said, Mando does disarm him, and you can tell the pain that is on Bo-Katan's face when he walks into you know the hang or the the main is it's not the main hangar the uh command ship command deck and she's like what like kind of like what are you doing there and you know multiple times in the episode she keeps on repeating like Moff getting in his mind I don't care if he dies and I need the one you know thing that he has and that one thing is what Mando currently is holding and you have this awesome exchange where 
Moff Gideon, I feel like, is trying to get into Bo-Katan's head and, you know, mess it all up and play this, you know, devil's advocate the whole time and just kind of goes on and Mando the whole time is like, you can have this blade. I don't want it. I have, you know, my son. Let's get the hell out of here. And I know a lot of I know a lot of fans online were upset because in, you know, Rebels, uh, Sabine gives the Darksaber to Bo-Katan and she wields it. But I was thinking about this. Maybe she doesn't take it because... So, so uh, hold on, st- take a step back a little bit. She her, her purpose was to take over the planet of Mandalore and to unite the Mandalorians. Something didn't go right because now she doesn't have the Darksaber. So I'm wondering if because she didn't win it like or she she was giving it to Sabine maybe there's other Mandalorians that didn't see her as the true heir and the ruler of Mandalore so it didn't work out so that's why this time she's kind of like no like I need to win and Mando you need to back off or you know now she's gonna have to fight him and that's my thought process and how they get around the whole well she accepted it last time that's a good thought process. I think there's a lot of reasonable ways you can work around it. Um, one being, like you mentioned, that you, she could have had doubters back in the day when she just accepted it offhand the previous time. Um, the other reason could be purely political in that to rouse up the people, she has to have that rousing story of victory in order to get the political upheaval to happen. Um, another thing I was thinking of is that so um, if you look back in Legends, one of the ways that they kind of had the lineage of leader of Mandalore passed down was the mask of Mandalore. And that I believe that mask in Old Republic times was taken by Revan and hidden away as a way to kind of say, screw you, Mandalore, you guys aren't going to have leaders. I messed you up. Deal with it. And they had a lot of the Mandalorians fight over finding and getting that mask. So, like, this isn't the first time an item has a significance for causing, like, a change in political leadership. It just, it's not the only one that's done that. So, it's more about the story itself and the symbolism versus the actual item. And to have that true story and symbolism, you need to have a triumphant defeat of your enemy, not have somebody else do it and just hand it over to you, you know? It doesn't have the same impact on the people. Oh, I I I like you know how this all played out because now you have you know we're going to get into it speculation of what happens at the end of and what's going to be you know the future of the TV show but there leaves it open where maybe there's not going to be you know the dynamic duo of Grogu and you know Mando with each other but it's going to be seeing Mando step into this role of like you know what is a Mandalorian and maybe him going and trying to unite this this planet and you know take it back from the empire and so it it opens up with a whole nother you know level of possibilities that i'm really excited to see where they take the show yeah it add it brings mando deep into the regania mandalore story versus previously he was more of an ancillary character now he's like he's a part of it now whether he wants to or not and I think there's a lot they can explore there. Are they going to make Mando the new kind of heir to Mandalore? Is he going to be part of this rebellion? Is there going to be this tension between him and Bo-Katan? Is he going to just join Bo-Katan? We don't know, but we know he's going to have to be a part of it now. And there's a lot they can explore with that. Agreed. But we got to talk about the ending. I cried. I'm going to be honest with you. It was five in the morning. And I, I was just bawling when I saw the the very end. I, f- I knew that there was going to be someone, you know, someone special to come save the day. I didn't know who. And when I saw the X-Wing, I freaked out. And, and, then, and then I freaked out even more, you know, when I saw the green lightsaber with the, you know, the robot hand. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's Luke. No way. And then that, that whole scene was, you know, it was just perfect. It was it was couldn't ask for anything better it was like the rogue one darth vader scene but luke got his own version so many thoughts and emotions with that part i have to say like i was an emotional wreck it's like you you know when you 
cause that little spinning wheel of death on your Mac because you press too many buttons at once and it just freaks out and stops doing anything. Like literally, that's what happened to my feelings. Like I saw Luke and I was just overly freaked out about how amazing this was. And then the Grogu leaving and how amazingly sad that was and the mask off and everything. And I was just like, I need a second to reboot. I can't feel anything anymore. And it just like overwhelmed me to my core. Like I and then I have to say, it's it's not that big of a deal, but I I I got overwhelmed. He you know crushes the 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 final dark trooper, and that was an awesome scene. And then he takes off his helm or his hood, and I laughed. And then I got back into it. It, it there's a it's a little you know uncanny valley for me. It's whatever. I'm not gonna complain about it. Like it it was just amazing seeing him there. The like the the budget for seeing Tarkin and you know Car- uh, Leia was more and you know they did what what they did with it and then now you have Luke and so I'm not going to really on the Mandalorian budget so I'm not going to really like fault them or complain about it but I do have to say like I laughed and then I went back into watching the the episode <sighs> you see so I think I was talking to the Red 5 guys I don't know who it was but I put in the comment there of like, that moment was amazing. Fanboys are going to be butthurt about Luke being CGI, but screw those guys. And then like 10 minutes later, some people were like, yeah, I didn't really like the CGI. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I get it. But come on, it's Luke freaking Skywalker. And it's Mark Hamill too. Like you can't have anything that that's, you know, it's what all the fanboys were crying over with The Last Jedi. You got what you wanted. Like, Get over yourself, you know, and it yeah. was. I I again I I liked it. I know when I was telling people when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, like it wasn't my favorite thing, but who cares? I loved it. Look at it. Like that's not gonna ruin it for me. It was still a great scene, and then it's still a very emotional scene because Mando takes off his helmet in front of everyone, and you have Grogu looking into his eyes, and it looks like. You know, Din's about to cry, and 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 everything's going on, and all my emotions are going on, and then you know, R two shows up, and you're like, "What the hell? This is awesome!" But at the same time, don't leave Mando. I, I was watching it again today, and I was almost breaking down in tears again. The only thing saving me was the fact that I was hyped again off of Luke and R two being there. That was the only thing helping me hold together my little shred of manliness left. But. Not to harp on it, I want to go back to the Luke thing, because I think one thing they executed perfectly compared to the other de-aging CGI was that they had Luke with his hood up during the fight. So the fight was purely perfect. Like, that's the Luke we've been wanting. That's the Luke we've been looking for. It's like that redeeming moment we've always wanted with Luke Skywalker as an all-out Jedi. We finally got it. I mean, you still kind of got it. In the, I'm gonna argue. You you, you kind of got it at the end of TLJ, but whatever. Um, yeah, y- you did. But it also came with the fact that you had to deal with the other part of Luke, which is again mixed emotions. We won't get into that. But right. like this was straight up Rogue One style gratification for fans. It it was, and I I really really liked it, and I I'm gonna like it for many 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 years. And again, I mean, we see. You know, Grogu go off. We do see Mando say, though, I will see you again. So I'm hoping that with, you know, something happens because we all know what, you know, what happens at Luke's temple. He he has to not be there. That's all I got to say. Like, he has to not be there. Yeah, there's no way. Okay, so we're referring to in, like, the sequels, obviously, Luke's temple is destroyed and Kylo kills multiple of Luke's followers. Um, there's no way Grogu's there. I'm sorry. If after surviving Order 66, all of the Empire, you die because of freaking Ben Solo, that is a big-ass letdown, okay? Like, there's no way Grogu's dead. So that leads to two thoughts in my mind. One, that Grogu either left the Jedi Temple because of a completion of training, moving on to a different mentor, or what have you. Or, two, Grogu returns to Mando at some point. And I have to feel like Grogu returns to Mando. Maybe he helps fight 
in the regain of Mandalore and dies. But I mean, so so we there's this is where the speculation comes in. What's gonna happen? We know that there's gonna be a Boba Fett show, which is great. I love that he took over Jabba's palace. I feel like that's really fitting for him. Uh, and I freaked out when I saw it in the morning. But then, you know, what what is in store for Mando, for Grogu, for you know all all these other characters? I know that they announced a bunch of TV shows, and we're gonna do a podcast talking about like what we're really excited about and kind of break them down. But they didn't announce a Mando, Mando season three. I think they have come out and said that it's, it is coming out, and I think it's coming out around Christmas. But what is that going to look like? You know, is, is there going to is is Boba Fett also going to be coming out? You know, right before that leads into Mando season three, and you know, are they going to meet back up? Are we going to have a lot more Bo-Katan and Mando squaring off with a dark saber? Who knows? Yeah, and so. Like, not to put a downer on it, is Mando going to be as good without Grogu? Like, if they are doing the idea of Grogu is gone, how the heck are they going to continue this show? Like, the fan in me trusts Dave Filoni and John Favreau wholeheartedly, and it's like, they'll find a way to make anything great. But I'm also like, I don't want Grogu to not be a part of this. Like, he's so central to the show now. I I agree. Uh, I Well, I think that they're going to somehow you know introduce Grogu back into it there's too much money to be lost if they didn't do that he, he's such a you know cash cow when it comes to plush dolls and you know merchandising like space balls and um, <laughs> so I, I I have a feeling that somehow he'll be really introduced yeah and you see a lot of like fans online wondering are they gonna bring Sebastian Stan and have like Luke be more of a character in the TV shows? Possibly. I I, I don't know. Um, it seems like a pipe dream, but we already got a Soka TV show, and that seemed like a pipe dream like a year ago. Um, we'll see. I, I have to think deep down that Grogu's going to come back and that we're going to have some way of it being him and Mando, whether it's Luke saying, there's only so much more I can train him, or like, I had a vision, and I saw he has to be with you, something to get him back. He just has to come back for the show. Yep, and there's going to be multiple, multiple months of us speculating as, you know, more news comes out, because that's how media works nowadays. They just can't keep everything quiet, and so you'll hear our lovely voices talk about everything, and anything until we get back to next year Christmas. So yeah, that is another season of The Mandalorian. I know I'm going to miss not having the new episodes every week, but we got some new Star Wars and geeky content coming your way. Um, No idea what the heck we're going to be releasing for next week's episode, but we got quite a bit in the works. Yeah, just a little FYI, a little update on Gary and I's lives, my lives, uh, whatever, grammar, I got to work on that. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's really funny that I say that. I'm actually going back to school in January, and Gary is studying for a certification. So we're trying to backlog a ton of episodes. We got quite a few interviews that we did this past month, and we got some more coming up. And then we're going to try um, doing as much before it really gets you know deep into my schooling and his studying for his certification. So bear with us if we're you know some of our intros are a little bit behind or you know, things don't mess up, or if we aren't able to post an episode every single week. Uh, we, we really love doing this, but we don't get paid for it. And um, and so... You know, life. Life yeah. is a thing. But right. we're So mainly, the only thing you'll notice is you'll see, you'll listen to like a new episode released a month from now. And we'll be like, yeah, really excited for the season finale of Mando. And you'll be like, guys, that was a month ago. And that's a sign we backlogged. But... We'll be able to keep up with all the juiciness and all the episodes still. Um, a lot of fun stuff coming our way. Yeah, yeah, we got we got so much stuff. We have we were um we got plenty of ideas coming down the pipe and uh um some more interviews and yeah. So be looking out if you do get a chance. Uh, write a five star review for us. It really helps us out, guys. And you can also find us online at pod wars podcast on twitter and if you have any questions or want to talk about something you can also email us at ask pod wars 
podcast at gmail.com. And then also, one last thing that we're really excited about. One of my friends is making, or our friend, is making a website for Pod Wars. And so hopefully that will be rolling out in the new year. And we'll tell you guys about it. And we'll hopefully, you know, keep on sharing it, get you guys going on there. We're going to try, you know, having different forums on there. We'll have our podcast on there. Maybe some merch that you guys can get. You know, we're, we, we got a lot of uh, stuff in work in the works. So we, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed, you know, this. I feel like we're, like, wrapping up the end of the year. Kind of. But, you know, there's a lot to look forward to in 2021.